Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful, gathered here out of love for you. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, on Friday last week, two major events occurred in the United States. Wait for it. Disneyland and Disney World open to the public again after more than 400 days of being closed. Now, some of the first guests who were interviewed spoke of the event in nostalgic ways, reminiscing about their childhood and visiting Disneyland or Disney World. And as the first guests entered Disneyland, they were greeted by a cast member exclaiming proudly and loudly, Welcome home! And one woman spoke and said that after last year and the beginning of this year was so much loss, with so much isolation, how much she and her family just needed a little magic. And isn't that what we all need right now? After a year of a pandemic, sickness, deaths, social distancing, isolation, and maybe not so much magic, but perhaps light, hope, joy, belonging. And the question is, in our world that is still far, far from being a place of peace and justice for all people, in our world that is far, far from being a place of light and joy and hope in so many places, how do we find and sustain those things that actually bring us life abundant, promised to us by Jesus. Like last week's image of the Good Shepherd, this week's image of the vine would have been familiar to those who followed Jesus. In the Gospel of John, Jesus makes seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd, and so on. And this I am statement that we hear today is the last of the I am statements. And these I am statements reflect the story in Exodus where where Moses is on the mountaintop and encounters a shrub that is on fire but is not consumed. And the voice of God speaks out of that and says to Moses, you are to go to Pharaoh and set my people free. And Moses says, who am I? I mean, who, who am I to do this? And who am I to say, sent me? And God's voice out of that flame comes to Moses saying, 
Tell them, I am sent you. Tell them, I am. And since Hebrew is a language that does not have tense, like we do in English, past, present, future tense, essentially what God is saying to Moses, tell them, I was, I am, I will be sent you. And by this saying that closes out the I am statements, Jesus is connecting himself intimately, organically, directly to his Abba, who is God. And is that representation of God's presence in the world? As Jesus teaches the disciples, no doubt, uh, as he shares with them that he will suffer, he will die, he will leave them, They are understandably distraught. So Jesus is using this metaphor of the vine and the branches to assure these disciples that he isn't abandoning them. That he's seeking to stay connected to them. Jesus assures them that his departure is not abandonment. Instead, leaving will allow him to engage in a deeper Intimacy. Jesus insists that this enduring connection with the disciples will be so strong that the disciples' very lives will be signs of that connection. The disciples' very lives will bear fruit of that connection. Jesus is saying to them, today we walk side by side, but in the days to come, I will live in you. And you will live in me. So the ultimate goal then for those of us who take the name Christian is not just to follow Jesus or to obey his teachings, but to live in him as Jesus lives in us. And just as the disciples were disoriented and afraid following the arrest and execution and death and burial of Jesus. We too, living in our current circumstances, likely feel a bit of disorientation, don't we? I mean, just this morning, we woke up to the news that there had been another shooting. It feels as if there's been a shooting every day of the week. And of course, our difficulty is that we do not have the advantage of having walked side by side with Jesus. I mean, it is true that Jesus blesses those who will come after, who have not seen and not touched. But still, it's challenging. And we also have the disadvantage of trying to understand a metaphor which is completely unfamiliar to us. Oh, I know, some of us like to drink a good glass of wine. Some of us like to go and tour vineyards. But we really don't have a grasp of this miracle of the vine and the branches and all the pruning that has to go on in order for a young vine to grow strong so that it can produce fruit. For example, 
For those who work in a vineyard, it's common knowledge that the best grapes are produced closest to the central vine where the nutrients are most concentrated. And isn't that then the perfect metaphor that that the fruit of our spirits, of our lives, are when we can be close to that vine, the closest grapes to that vine. And to some degree, the language of pruning raises concerns, doesn't it? I mean, I read that um, the young vines, when when they are, are, are grown, they, they can just go wild. And that the, the vine grower has to go in and really harshly prune them in order for them to have new branches and stronger branches. And I don't know about you, but I'm not so excited about that. I mean, it does seem harsh, and yet... Um, and, and, and I just want to say that a lot of people have interpreted this pruning as Jesus saying, well, if you don't stay connected to me, you will be pruned away and thrown into the fires of hell. I mean, some people think that. And then there is this matter of abiding. I mean, our contemporary ears are not equipped to really grasp this word, I think. I mean... We, we know it vocabulary-wise, but, I mean, it's an unusual word for contemporary people. The Greek word there is meno, meno. And it's used in this passage in a way that could also be translated as staying in place, enduring, holding out, Remaining, And if you read multiple translations of this text, you'll find some of those words in the place of abiding in a way to sort of draw a contemporary mind into the story. And so however are we to do this, to abide, to endure, to hold out, to remain? How in a world in which and a society that runs at the speed of light, how are we to do this abiding? I mean, this pandemic has certainly left us with enough struggles, publicly, globally, nationally, personally. I mean, I don't know about you, but, um, you know, In this pandemic, it's been so easy to lose track of time and days. It's been frequently that we find ourselves exhausted with the merest amount of work. And it's true, I think, that many times it's difficult to complete the tasks that are before us. So in our disorientation, maybe we need to hear what this passage is really all about, which I believe is about Jesus in this last time of his life trying to help these followers understand how much love he has for them, how much love God has for them, 
how he will continue to be present with them, which they can't grasp or understand, and I'm not sure many of us do either. How he wants so much for them to understand this love, the promise of Jesus to abide with them, to dwell with them, is not some kind of mystical indwelling. It is the promise of a real presence, the real presence of God, the real presence of Jesus, the real presence of the Holy Spirit. I had a friend once when we were talking, and she told me, she said, you know, whenever I'm in a setting and I'm disoriented or troubled or having difficulty... I frequently will call upon God's presence. And I have to tell you that God has never failed to be present. Real presence is what Jesus is talking about here. In Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible entitled The Message, here is how he says this passage. He has Jesus saying, Live in me and make your home in me as I do in you. I just have to believe that that is just good news for us. That is light for us. That is hope for us. That is love for us. Jesus says to us today, to you and to me, live in me, just as I do in you. And what would that abiding look like to us in the year of our Lord, 2021? What would that abiding feel like, look like? it would look like Jesus I mean often I pray that we could all look a little more like Jesus it would look like Jesus and at the same time it would look like us it would look like us being God's people as God has made us to be in a word it would look like love incarnate tangible down to earth intertwining intersecting growing fruitful vibrant love and rather than a message of if you don't stay connected to Jesus you will be pruned away and thrown into the fires of hell instead a message of live in me make your home in me just as i do in you do you hear that So this abiding is not just about what we do because Jesus is already doing this in us. So it is that the Christian life begins and ends with love. And living in Christ and making our home in Christ would go beyond something simply contemplative would go beyond that into action of welcoming the people most marginalized in our world and our community. Still, it is a challenge 
this abiding thing given our lifestyles and culture, right? Those of us who are participating in the reading of Diana Butler Bass's book, Grateful, the subversive practice of giving thanks, are learning about the transformative power of practicing gratefulness. Oh, she says from the outgo of this book and the preface of it, I'm really bad at this. I'm really bad at being grateful. But she develops this book in a way that helps us understand that it is a transformative thing to be grateful, to give thanks and praise, and suggests that we practice as some of the people she refers to in the book beginning our day, the moment we awaken with a prayer of praise and thanksgiving to God, and that we conclude our day with, a, with counting our blessings, because people who do that speak about a transformation in their lives. Still, I mean, you know, I can't even stay on a diet, much less make sure I give praise and thanksgiving every morning and count my blessings every night. So it's not easy. But this simple thing can transform us. And, and you may wonder sometimes why the church always asks for an offering. Don't you wonder about that? And I think a lot of people think it's for raising money to keep the building together, to pay the pastors and staff, to care for the, the paying of the bills and things like that. But truly, um, there's another reason. You know, I think the early church learned, and, and the church has abused this throughout the centuries, has gathered offerings for all kinds of things that really were not the purpose of gathering offerings. I think the church invites people to give a part of their resources in order to grow their heart for God, in order to make them become generous people, not just hoarding things for themselves. I often wonder, you know, after your first billion dollars, how much more do you need? Fortunately, some great, some billionaires are, have signed a covenant to give away their money. And in looking at the resolutions presented to the United Church of Christ General Synod this summer that are going to be presented, I'm heartened by the fact that a group of churches in the Northeast and Midwest are offering a resolution calling for the United Church of Christ to not only be a church of social justice and peace, but also a contemplative church. They, the title of the resolution is Becoming a Church of Contemplatives in Action. So it's not just gazing at our belly buttons. It's continuing to be churches of social justice and peace, but to be churches grounded in prayer, in connection and attention to God's will, listening for God, being present to God. It is their hope that by fostering spiritual practices that the deepened love for God, neighbors, ourselves and all creation can transform us. And the result of all this, if we can practice it, is that the garden of God's grace will bloom and buzz and will be fruitful. I have to tell you, 
I don't know about you, but I seek an abundant life. I seek the very thing Jesus promised us, and I hope you do too. And I seek it not just for me and my family, but for you, for God's people, all people, of all faiths and no faith. And get this, get this. When Jesus says in this scripture, you have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. You, 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 you have already been cleansed by the word I have spoken to you. The Greek word that is translated cleansed in the New Revised Standard Version may also be rendered as pruned. Do you hear it? We've already been cleansed. We've been pruned. That God takes the worst of us and cuts that away and tosses it into a fire so that the best of us may emerge. Strong, bearing fruit for the world. So our God is not intent on banishing the barren, but rather on helping each and every branch, you and me, to bear fruit in the world. My friends, living in Jesus as Jesus lives in us helps us find our way home to God. If we continue to listen for God's word, God's cleansing word, we will hear the words that God, from God that God says to us that we most need and want to hear. I love you. I forgive you. Come home. And with those words in our hearts and minds and souls, transforming us to be the people who live fully, love expansively, and become the people God has created us to be. Now, now, in this love, we rise. Thanks be to God. Amen.